The Chicago Bears could have had him. The Chicago Bears could have had him. They could have had arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. They could have chosen Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 NFL draft. They could have been the ones winning the Super Bowl this past Sunday and having a rally in the downtown of their city this past Wednesday but instead they chose Mitch Trubisky. And Chicagoans are beginning to lament this decision. In the Chicago Sun article from this week, the journalist Jason Leeser writes, the Bears will spend the rest of quarterback Patrick Mahomes' career wondering what they missed when they chose Mitch Trubisky ahead of him in the 2017 NFL Draft. I bet that made Mitch Trubisky feel great about himself. <laughs> This quote highlights the reality that the Chicago Bears missed out. And I think if they could go back in time, they would make a different decision. But they couldn't see all the value in quarterback Patrick Mahomes. They didn't see his expertise. But Kansas, did, Kansas City did see his value. Brett Veach, the general manager for the Kansas City Chiefs, saw Patrick's potential when he saw his film from Texas Tech, he thought he was one of the best quarterbacks he had ever seen. And time would prove that he was right. But the Chicago Bears missed out because they did not see Mahomes' value. They couldn't see they had one of the best quarterbacks before their eyes who would go on to become the youngest NFL player ever to win the MVP trophy. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, Henry, I get it. The Chicago Bears are dumb. And they missed out <laughs> by choosing Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. But what does this have to do with the lecture on gospel-centered diversity and unity? Well, many people pass over the valuable pursuit of unity and gospel-centered diversity like the Chicago Bears passed over Mahomes because they don't see the value in it. Many people don't see the value of pursuing unity and gospel-centered diversity, but this morning, I wanna tell you that if you pass over the pursuit of diversity and unity, you will miss out like the Chicago Bears. And I would even say that you are going to miss something more valuable than even having Patrick Mahomes on your favorite NFL team. So this morning, I want to answer two questions. First, I will answer, the first question I want to answer is, why should we pursue unity and gospel-centered diversity? Why should we pursue unity and gospel-centered diversity? And the second question I will answer is, how should we go about pursuing unity and gospel-centered diversity? Now, I will we'll begin with the first question above. Why should we pursue gospel-centered diversity? I will answer this question by offering a biblical, sociological, and historical response. I will begin by offering a biblical response to this question because this is the foundation of both the sociological and historical response I will offer later. Now the Bible is so essential to this conversation because it shows us that the topic of unity and gospel-centered diversity is not about being politically correct 
or falling in line with a certain kind of political agenda. The Bible reminds us that we should not be concerned about diversity because it is the new hot topic. The Bible reminds us that the discussion of diversity is ultimately about people. And at the beginning of our Bibles, God lets us know something very important about all people. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. These verses read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. These verses highlight the reality that every person, regardless of race, ethnicity, income, gender, and nationality, is made in God's image. This is why human beings are so important and valuable, because we are all made in God's image. God created humans to reflect his attributes and character. He created us to rule over his glorious creation under his authority. The reality that each and every person is made in God's image is a foundational reason why we should care about pursuing gospel-centered diversity. Because human beings are diverse. We have over 6,000 ethnicity groups and 6,500 languages. Now, as we continue on in the book of Genesis, God makes his heart for all racial and ethnic groups explicitly clear. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. These verses read, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, at the beginning of Genesis 12, God calls a man by the name of Abram to leave his home with his wife Sarah, to go to a foreign land, and God promises to make Abram into a, a nation and bless him, and he promises to bless all the peoples of the earth through Abram. And as we read on in our Bibles, we see that this man Abram is the father of God's chosen people, the Israelites, who eventually will be called Jews. In this verse, we see that God raises up his chosen people and blesses them in order to bless every ethnic group on earth. This truth shows us that we should pursue gospel-centered diversity because our God is about pursuing all people groups and all nations. He wants to bless every racial and ethnic group on this planet. And this is made clear throughout the entire Old Testament. For example, in the prophetic book Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 10, it says, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm, in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This verse highlights the reality that God is going to show his power to save all peoples to every nation. This truth illustrates the fact that God has a heart for all nations. He wants to show his salvation to all nations. 
Thus, he is pursuing gospel-centered diversity. This is ultimately why we, too, should pursue gospel-centered diversity as well. And God commands us to pursue this explicitly in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, the God-man, existed eternally as part of our triune God. But he took on flesh to pay the penalties for our sins. We were all headed down a pathway of eternal destruction away from God. But he came to save us and establish a new kingdom. And he did this by living the life we can never live and dying the death we deserve at the cross of Calvary. And after he resurrected from the grave, Jesus appeared to his disciples and gave them a command to pursue gospel-centered diversity. Let's look at this command in Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 through 18 through 20. After his resurrection from the grave, in these verses, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, after his death and resurrection from the grave, Jesus commands his followers to go make disciples of every nation. This command shows that Jesus has a heart for pursuing gospel-centered diversity. This is why he commands his followers to go disciple people from all nations. And the word nation in the original language refers to ethnic groups. Jesus basically tells his followers to go to every ethnic group on earth to share the good news about his life, death, and resurrection for them. Through this passage, we see that we should pursue gospel-centered diversity because Jesus commands us to pursue people from all nations. Thus, God's word is the foundational reason why we should be committed to the pursuit of gospel-centered diversity and unity in Christ. Amen? Amen. Y'all know I'm from a black church. Amen? Amen. Okay. I just need to know y'all awake. (laughs) Now, beyond the biblical reason for pursuing gospel-centered diversity. We also have sociological reasons why we should be committed to pursuing unity in our cultural diversity. Sociologists continue to show us that the United States is becoming more and more ethnically diverse. Now, my parents were born in the 1960s, and don't tell them that I told you that, especially my mom. She would kill me (laughs) if she knew I told you when she was born. But uh, they were born during the time of the Civil Rights Movement. And in the 1960s, the U.S. Census showed that the United States was about 88.6% white, 10.5% black, and about 1% Native American. Now, the 2010 U.S. Census shows that the demographics in our country have made significant shifts since the birth of my wonderful parents. Whites dropped down to 72% of the population, African Americans were 12% of the population, Asian Americans were 5%, 6.2% were some other race, 3% were multiple races, and Latinos made up 16.2% of the population, making them now the largest ethnic minority. And now in 2020, we will do another census, but 
Researchers guess that minorities make up now more than 40% of the U.S. population. And by 2045, sociologists project that there will be no ethnic majority in the United States. Now there is a sociologist at the University of Michigan by the name of William Frey, and he wrote a book called Diversity Explosion, How New Racial Demographics Are Remaking America. I recently read an article from William Frey on his book, and in this article he writes, New census population projects, projections confirm the importance of racial minorities as the primary demographic engine of the nation's future growth, countering an aging, slow-growing, and soon-to-be declining white population. The new statistics project that the nation will become minority white in 2045. During that year, whites will comprise 49.7% of the population in contrast to 24.6% for Latinx, 13.1% for blacks, 7.9% for Asians, and 3.8% for multiracial populations. This quote highlights the reality that America will continue to become more and more racially and ethnically diverse. This growth will be driven primarily by growth in the Asian and Latinx population and by decline in the, and the decline in the white population based on aging and declining births. These demographic shifts give us even more of a reason to be intentional about pursuing gospel-centered diversity because the greatest commandment is to love God with all our hearts, mind, and body, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And demographic shifts in our country show us that our neighbors are going to more and more be people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than our own. Because the United States has changed so much. For example, behind Mexico, the United States now has the second most Spanish speakers out of any country. A Washington Times article that I recently read by Jessica Chasmar highlighted a study which showed we have over 52 million people who speak Spanish in the United States. The study once again highlights the shifting demographic, yeah, woohoo, that's, that's exciting, so somebody shouted. Uh, this study once again highlights the shifting demographics in our country. And these changes are even reshaping the face of American Christianity. I was reminded of this, of this last year because I read a book called The Next Worship, Glorifying God in a Diverse World by Sandra Maria von Opstel, a Latina pastor in Chicago. And in her book, Sandra writes, the face of Christianity is diversifying. According to the Public Religion Research Institute, over half of young American Christians are people of color. This quote points to the reality that the shifting demographics in our country are reshaping the face of American Christianity with 50% of young Christians in the U.S. now being non-white. Now, based on what I hear from Paul, you have seen the impact of these demographic shifts on your college campus already because about 40% of the students here are students from non-white ethnic backgrounds. This reality should compel you to become even more committed to the pursuit of gospel-centered diversity because it, it is more important than ever. 
because due to demographic changes, the college age population is going to be more and more ethnically diverse. Thus, Christian colleges, churches, and Jesus followers in general will have to be more prepared to love and serve people from different backgrounds than their own. Amen? Now, beyond the biblical foundation and sociological reasons for pursuing ethnic diversity, we have historical reasons we should pursue gospel-centered diversity. See, the United States has a long history of racial and ethnic injustice. There are certain groups of people that have been historically oppressed and marginalized in our country. We have a history of racial and ethnic discrimination against Native Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, and Latinx Americans. In addition, we have a history of discrimination against European ethnic groups, such as Italians, Irish, and Jewish people. This discrimination against ethnic minorities has historically been rooted in the lie of white supremacy. And this false idea that white people are biologically or culturally superior has been used to justify the mistreatment of almost every ethnic minority in our country. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, why do we have to focus on our history in the United States to pursue gospel-centered diversity? Why can't we just move forward? Well, the best way I can answer that question is by quoting lyrics from a hip-hop song by Andy Minio. Now, Andy is a white Christian hip-hop artist from New York, and he recently released a new rap album. And on this album, he has a song called Reflections Rough with Horns and Break. And in this song, he addresses historical injustices against African-Americans, women, and Native Americans. And after addressing these historical realities, he says, this isn't anti-patriotic. I'm just telling the truth. Y'all want to change the topic. Man, stop it. It's clear that we still got a problem. But until we admit our past, there's no way the future can have progress. I love these lyrics from Andy Minio because, one, they highlight the fact that it's not unpatriotic to tell the truth about our past. I also love these lyrics because they make the point that we can't move forward without admitting our past. This is why the acknowledgement of our history is so important to gospel-centered diversity. If we attempt to ignore the past injustices against racial and ethnic minorities, we will be hindered in our ability to make progress toward true unity and peace. I do not know the scope of injustice committed against every ethnic minority in the United States, but I do know that our past should compel us to be even more committed to pursuing gospel diversity and unity now. See, our history shows us that many people sought to destroy and exploit people from diverse backgrounds in our land. And this past history still impacts race relations in the present. Sociological research continues to show that racial and ethnic minorities deal with discrimination in employment, education, housing, in our criminal justice system, and in our immigration system. These current realities are rooted in a long history of racial discrimination in our land. And to be honest, the American church has historically often been complicit with this oppression of racial and ethnic minorities. I was reminded of this truth through a book called The Color of Compromise by J Jamar Tisby, which is at the front of your library right now. And in this book, Jamar shows how the American church has been complicit with racism against African Americans in the United States. 
This history is sad and frustrating, but it is something that must be admitted to if we are going to truly pursue unity and gospel-centered diversity. Now, Jamar does not only write about the past in his book. He writes about how we can move forward in the present in light of our past. And his book is the foundation for the final half of my lecture this morning. Now that I have established the biblical, sociological, and historical reasons for pursuing gospel-centered diversity, I want to transition to the second question that I mentioned earlier. How should we go about pursuing unity and gospel-centered diversity? Because it is not enough just to know why we should pursue unity and gospel-centered diversity. We also need to practically know how to do it. And in his book, The Color of Compromise, Jamar Tisby offers a compelling way forward through the acronym ARC. This acronym ARC stands for Awareness, Relationships, and Commitment. Through his book, I saw that in order to pursue gospel-centered diversity, we must raise our awareness, diversify our relationships, and become committed to changing unjust systems. So for the remainder of our time this morning, I want to flesh out this acronym ARC, Awareness, Relationships, and Commitment, to show us a pathway forward in our pursuit of gospel-centered diversity. To begin, I will start with awareness. See, if we are going to pursue gospel-centered diversity, we have to raise our awareness about our culture and the culture of others. And we should also seek to raise awareness about the history of racial injustice in our land. Now, I want to share a few resources that have helped me raise my awareness about my own culture as an African-American and about the culture of other people. First, I want to highlight a few resources that have helped me raise my awareness about my own culture. Now, I love documentaries, and in 2016, there was a powerful award-winning documentary released on Netflix called 13th. This Oscar-nominated documentary was directed by the brilliant director Ava DuVernay. And Ava is the first African-American woman to be nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar for directing. And her Netflix documentary weighs my awareness about the injustices against African-Americans in our criminal justice system. It helped me understand why I live in a country where one out of three people that look like me spend time in prison during some point in their life. And it helped me understand why the United States has the highest rate of incarceration out of any country in the entire world. This documentary helped me raise my awareness about the experience in the U.S. for African Americans. Now, beyond documentaries, I love to read books. And a few years ago, I read a book called The Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson. As a fun Black History Month fact, Isabel Wilkerson was the first African-American woman to win the Pulitzer Prize for Journalism. And her award-winning book, The Warmth of Other Sons, raised my awareness about my own family. In her book, she offers a detailed account of the great migration of African-Americans out of the South. She, she shows that between 1915 to about 1970, six million African Americans left the South for cities in the North and West Coast. 
This book helped raise my awareness about my own cultural heritage because I was born in Northeast Indiana, but my family is originally from Arkansas and Mississippi. And my grandparents on both my dad and my mom's side were a part of the great migration of African Americans out of the South. I did not realize the forces that led six million African Americans to leave the South, and I did not know that this was the largest internal migration in United States history. In addition, I was not fully aware of the injustices that African Americans faced in housing due to this great migration. Now, I know there are students, faculty, and administration from so many backgrounds here. I know we have students who are Latinx, black, white, Asian, European, Messianic Jews, and Middle Eastern. But no matter your background, I would encourage you to raise your awareness about your own culture. I think this is particularly important for both minorities and white majority culture because raising your awareness about your own racial and ethnic background will help you be more equipped to interact with people different than yourself. Amen? Now, it is not only important to raise your awareness about your own culture. It is important to raise your awareness about the culture of others that are different from you. And I want to highlight a few resources that have raised my awareness about racial and ethnic groups different than my own. So last year, I read a book called The God Who Sees, Immigrants, the Bible, and the Journey to Belong by Karen Gonzalez. Karen is a Christian, and she immigrated to the United States from Guatemala. She works for a Christian nonprofit called World Relief, which provides legal services for immigrants and refugees. And her book raised my awareness about what God says about immigration in the Bible and how God calls us to care for the immigrants among us. And she also raised my awareness about issues and injustices in our immigration system in the United States. Now, beyond books, I think movies can raise our awareness about cultures different than our own, too. I was reminded of this truth through one of my favorite films last year, The Farewell. This movie stars the gifted actress and rapper who is half Korean American and half Chinese American, Aquafina, who became the first Asian American woman to win a Golden Globe for a lead role in a film this past year for her role in The Farewell. And this film raised my awareness about the differences between culture and mainland China and the United States. It also raised my awareness about the experience of second-generation Americans simultaneously navigating American culture and the culture of the countries that their parents immigrated from to come to the United States. Now, this movie starring Aquafina and Karen Gonzalez's book reminded me of how important it is to seek out resources such as books and movies that raise our awareness about people from different backgrounds than our own. And I would encourage you to find resources that raise your awareness about the racial history and experience of people from groups different than your own. And y'all know it's Black History Month, so I want to give you all an assignment. How many of y'all here have Netflix? Like, show of hands, show of hands. Okay, okay, a lot of y'all, a lot of y'all. There is a documentary that I, that I watched a few years back on Netflix a few years ago called Many Rivers to Cross. This documentary series was produced by Henry Louis Gates, a famous African-American studies professor at Harvard University. 
I encourage you to watch this six-part documentary, it's on Netflix, to learn about the history of African Americans. I would also encourage you to order this for your library if it is not already in your collection. Henry Louis Gates does an amazing job walking through the history of African Americans in the United States from the beginning, from the 1500s to now. So I would recommend this resource to you in honor of Black History Month. Because if we're gonna pursue gospel-centered diversity, we need to raise our awareness about our own cultural experiences and the cultural experiences of others. Now, it is not enough just to raise your awareness about the experiences of people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than your own. In order to pursue unity and gospel-centered diversity, it is important to intentionally develop relationships with people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than your own. And Jamar Tisby makes this point clear in his book, The Color of Compromise. In his book, Jamar writes, awareness isn't enough. No matter how aware you are, your knowledge will remain abstract and theoretical until you care about the people who face the negative consequences of racism. This quote highlights the reality that we must develop relationships with people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds to grow in our awareness and concern about gospel-centered diversity. If we have a completely homogenous friend group, it would be hard for us to understand and care about and be aware of the discrimination that people face that are different from us. Now, when I was in college, in undergrad, Almost every single person I hung around was African-American. Indiana University was a large campus with over 40,000 students, but the school was only 4% African-American. And during my time at IU, I felt like I knew most of the black students. We had our black events like step shows, black musical and dance performances, and open, open mics. Black people love open mics. It was just natural for me to gravitate toward these events with people from similar racial and ethnic backgrounds as my own. But when I went to seminary in Chicago, I joined a multi-ethnic ministry called Mosaic. Through this ministry, I got the opportunity to develop relationships with people that were Korean-Canadian, Puerto Rican, El Salvadorian, Venezuelan, Eritrean, Euro-American, Swedish, and Japanese. And these relationships did so much to raise my awareness about people different from myself. Now, I don't regret spending the majority of my time with black students in undergrad because I love my people and I needed that support. But in graduate school, I saw firsthand how developing relationships with people from different ethnic backgrounds than my own propelled me forward practically in my pursuit of unity and gospel-centered diversity. So I encourage you to develop relationships with people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds than your own on this campus in order to pursue gospel-centered diversity. I would even encourage you to pursue relationships with people in different activities or on different sports teams than yourself. Because see, when you work to pursue those relationships, you'll, you will see the value and how that moves you forward in pursuing gospel-centered diversity. I want to be honest with you. When you start doing this work, when you start pursuing relationships with people that are different from you, there's a good chance that you're going to have conflicts. Because people with different racial and ethnic backgrounds have cultural differences. 
In light of this truth, I want to give you one principle for navigating cross-cultural conflict and relationships. And here is the, the principle. In cross-cultural relationships, place impact over intent. In cross-cultural relationships, place impact over intent. This is a concept that I picked up from a book called White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. Now let me explain what I mean by this. In cross-cultural interactions, there is a chance that you will do something that is offensive to another culture, even if that's not your intention. So it's, so it's important not to place your intentions above the negative impact of your actions. I know when I intentionally, unintentionally offend someone, I want to defend myself or kind of ignore the negative impact of my actions. But in order to navigate cross-cultural relationships well, we must put the impact of our actions above our intentions. And we do this by empathetically listening and apologizing when our actions offend someone from a different background than our own. To illustrate this point, I have a story. Last year, I was at a group meeting related to my pastoral position and we were discussing a passage of scripture that was about slavery in the Bible. Now, during our discussion, a friend read a quote about the enslavement of African Americans, and he had good intentions, but this quote had a very negative impact on me, and I was the only African American in the room. So in a respectful way, I let him know right away that I did not agree with the quote that he used about African enslavement and that it was highly offensive to me. Now, my friend was kind of shocked. He was like really shocked. He was not at all intending to offend me. And if he knew how I would have reacted, he would not have said it. But he did say it. And if my friend would have tried to explain away my reaction and ignore it, it would have only made things worse. But he decided to empathetically listen and apologize for reading the quote. This gave us the ability to move forward in our relationships because he placed the negative impact on me above his good intentions. And this is what we must do to navigate cross-cultural relationships with one another well. And this is what God calls us to do in order to love our neighbor as ourselves in the pursuit of unity and gospel-centered diversity. Now, beyond raising our awareness about different cultures and developing relationships with people from different backgrounds than our own, we must also be committed to taking action to pursue racial justice if we are going to walk in unity and gospel-centered diversity. And this brings me to my final point of this lecture. See, when we start raising our awareness about issues of diversity and start developing diverse relationships, we will see things that may need to change. Thus, it is important for us to be committed to taking action to bring about needed change. For example, once you raise your awareness about the experience of international students and start developing relationships with them, you may see that a handful struggle with taking classes all in English because English is their second, third, or fourth language. To actually improve this situation, you may have to be committed to having ESL classes for students struggling with English. Or you may raise your awareness and develop relationships and find out students want classes with a more diverse reading list and curriculum. This will require you to be committed to creating a more multicultural curriculum. Beyond that, you may find out through diverse relationships that a group of students are bothered by a racial incident on campus. 
To handle situations like these properly, you must be committed to listening and addressing these situations openly to head in a better direction in the future. Now, in honor of Black History Month, when I think of someone committed to racial justice, I think of an African-American brother named Brian Stevenson. Now, Brian is a lawyer who was educated at Harvard Law School, and he had the opportunity to get a very high-paying job after law school, but he decided instead to start an organization to address the inequity in our criminal justice system against the poor and people of color. And this organization is called the Equal Justice, Equal Justice Initiative. See, Brian's awareness about the racial injustice and inequality in our criminal justice system was raised during his time at Harvard. And he, had, he developed relationships with people on death row during an internship. This raised awareness and relationships made him committed to bringing about change in our criminal justice system, pursuing racial justice, and raising awareness about the racial history in our country. And in 2018, Brian Stevenson opened something called the Peace and Justice Memorial. This memorial commemorates the thousands of African Americans unjustly murdered through the practice of lynching in the United States. And this past year, there was a movie released about Brian Stevenson's life based on his book, Just Mercy, starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And I tell you, this film is exceptional. I watched it twice in theaters this past month, and it illustrates the importance of raising awareness, developing diverse relationships, and being committed to promoting change. And these are things we must do if we're going to pursue gospel-centered diversity and unity. See, when we raise our awareness, pursue diverse relationships, and become committed to taking action to bring about change, we are more prepared to pursue unity in our diversity. Now, in all honesty, at times I get tired in my pursuit of unity and gospel-centered diversity because it can be hard and draining to navigate cross-cultural disagreements, even among Christians. But I want you to know that we can and will overcome racial and ethnic division. Also, we can and will have perfect unity in our diversity. And it won't happen because of a great lecture, but it can and will happen because we have a great savior, Jesus Christ. And see, Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to each other. We were all separated from God due to our sin, and we were separated from each other. But Jesus, the God-man, took on flesh to make peace by reconciling us to God and each other. He did this by living the perfect life we could never live and by dying the death we deserve so we could be forgiven of our sins. See, in my old church, they would say they drove nails through Jesus' hands and nails through his feet at the cross of Calvary. Then they pierced him in his side, and he gave up the Holy Spirit, and then he died, and he stayed dead all day Friday, and he stayed dead all day Saturday. But early Sunday morning, he resurrected from the grave. And through his resurrection, he overcame Satan's sin and death on our behalf to restore our relationship with God through faith in him. And by his resurrection, he has given us the power to overcome our division with each other. 
So now through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can raise your cultural awareness, pursue diverse relationships, and be committed to taking action to confront racial issues on this campus so that you can have a unified and gospel-centered diversity here at Sterling College. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness to us and for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins and for unifying us by your death and resurrection, Lord. We pray that we would walk in the unity that you have already created through the gospel, Lord, and through the sending of your son. Thank you so much for your grace and your goodness to us, and I thank you for each and every student here, Lord, and I pray that your hand would continue to be on Sterling College. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.